The following audio content is a talk given at The Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Well, again, welcome. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the guys on staff here, and I am thrilled that you have set aside some time during uh, midterms to come and be with us tonight and, and uh, for us to think about and worship uh, our God together. That's what we do here every Tuesday, and we're, uh, we're glad that you took some time out to do that tonight. Before we get started in uh, the, the fifth uh, talk in our Galatians series, a couple of reminders. One is, uh, as I said last week, uh, we've got the snazzy uh, in water bottles on sale in the back, eight bucks. And every, every uh, dime that we make uh, in, in selling these will go to help build concrete floors during our spring break mission trip in the Dominican Republic. So you get a cool water bottle and there are some uh, families that will get a new floor to their home. So that's what we like to call a win-win. Go get yourself a water bottle for sure. Um, also, I, I know I'm a big skier. Um, I know there's others in this room that are as well. I invite you to take a look at joining us for our, our, our trip to Mount Baker here at the end of the month. I'm certainly looking forward to it, and I hope that uh, maybe I can get to know some new folks uh, while we're riding a chairlift or carving some turns at Mount Baker. It should be a good time, so take a look at that. Now, I want to share with you what my love language is as we get started. And the way that I best give love is, is probably no, no doubt words of affirmation. I feel like I'm pretty generous in giving people props. And, and certainly, I love receiving those, those same words of affirmation as well. But I really think that, and that I receive love uh, through physical touch. At least this is what my wife kind of confirms for me as well. So I, you know, I, I do enjoy, I do enjoy being, being hugged or spooned, as it might be. And, and I know that there's others out here that enjoy the spoon as well. You know, I also enjoy the, you know, maybe the, you know, the pat on the backside. Hey, good game, Churchy. Not a boy. You know, that's, that's another kind of, you know, physical, uh, touch, affirmation, love language that I am, Happy to receive. Now, that is not to be confused with the close talker of Seinfeld fame. You know, though I love physical touch and, you know, my body bubble isn't, isn't the biggest thing, there are those, those people that, uh, you know, the, the close talker that, that when they get to you, get, they're going to talk to you, they get like two inches away from you and you're kind of like, whoa, hey, hey, hey. You know, and, and the, the, I developed this whole strategy in dealing with that. Because I think, you know, people are like, oh, church, you know, he likes physical, tr- physical touch. I can probably get up in his joint a little bit. And, you know, so you have to kind of get the lean back. You kind of put the foot out and put the arms up. Try to give yourself a little bit of distance here. And, and you know, they're still kind of encroaching up on you. And you're, you keep moving back and back. You know, so, so avoid the close talker. And then when you try to call them out on it, they look at you like, Dude, what are you talking about? I was standing like three feet away from you. No, you weren't. You were up in my joint, two inches. The reason I bring up this whole idea of, of how we express 
our affection, how we receive love, is that tonight, that is what we're going to, to begin looking at in these last two chapters of this, this letter from Paul to the Galatians, that we've been working with this whole tension over the first four weeks of this quarter of going, it is about Jesus and nothing more. Just Jesus. We are justified by faith in Christ alone and is not about any of the, of the works that come with it. Last week, Dave Lutz gave us a great talk and, and he had that great line at the end, the Christian faith is just me. You're free. Both feet in with Jesus. Great line to remember. And as I've talked with people over the past couple weeks about, about this, this whole idea of just Jesus, the idea I get is that people are on board. That by and large, if you've been tracking with this series, you're like, okay, Ryan, I like this. I like the idea that, that it is, it is just Jesus. It is Jesus at the center. It is Him and, and only Him. But, how am I supposed to live? What does, that, what does that actually mean for my life? Isn't there something, isn't there some sort of behavior that comes along with that belief? How then am I supposed to live? If I'm saying, yes, just Jesus, and I'm with you, I agree with you, what am I supposed to do? Well, friends, tonight I think that this text begins to give us a little bit of guidance on how, how we then respond. I think that this is going to give us some stability on, on answering that question and engaging this tension. Yes, it is just about Jesus. But yes, there is, there is a response for me. There is a way that this impacts me. So, uh, let's get started on this, on this tonight. And I do hope that we move a little bit towards a resolution in this tension. Uh, let me pray before we get started uh, tonight. Lord, help us out. Help us to uh, grasp all the more your presence with us and the freedom that you invite us to uh, in relationship uh, with your son, Jesus. Uh, So, Lord, as you have done so often before for so many of us, would you speak to us through through this letter again tonight, uh, through this letter to the Galatians. Lord, uh, soften our hearts, open our, our minds, Uh, that we might receive what it is that you have for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And help us out. Um, Hey, as we get started with Galatians 5, I want to do something a little bit different as we read through the text tonight. Um, As we we project it up on the, the boards here, there are going to be texts that are in yellow. Like, uh, like you see there. And when we come to the yellow text, I would like you to read that with me out loud. Are you tracking with me? Thumbs up if you're with me like Dave was doing last week. Okay. Okay, so when we, when we come to those yellow texts, read it with me. I will get us started. Uh, again, uh, I think it's really cool, by the way, that we are joining in this ancient tradition of having the text read out loud. That when Jen preaches next week, and you're not going to want to miss that, that we're going to read through Galatians 6 and we will have read every word of Galatians in the same way that it was probably delivered to these churches throughout the region when Paul originally wrote it. I think that's pretty cool that we join in just reading a letter from front to back in the same way that it was done years and years ago. Here we go. Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Okay, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Before we move on, hit the save button in your mind right, right here. Because this is the line that really is the thesis of everything else that we're going to do. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Okay, allow that to, to color everything else that you're going to hear and that we're going to say together as we read through this. Stand firm then, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. If you were trying to be justified by the law, um, if you are trying to be justified by law, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? What kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you? Or that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, then why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Yikes. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Because Paul uses an image from athletics in, in this, this, this vision of the race that he gave, I want to do the same thing. I, I don't know how much I've talked about it from up here this year, but uh, one of the things that, that is in my past and I hope is in my future is that I, I've run uh, five marathons and I've also completed an Ironman. Yes, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> And I, be, because I enjoy these things physical and, and I, I know I've shared this from up front that I have been routinely con, convicted by Eugene Peterson's great line where he says, I am much better in competition than I am in love. I'm a much better competitor than I am a lover. And the way that that can sometimes play out is in doing, when you're training for a marathon, uh, typically, sometime on the weekend, you have to do one of these really long runs. And by really long, I mean somewhere between 10 and 20 miles. And I would usually do these on Saturday mornings and get out there, usually down on Lake Washington Boulevard, and, you know, get into my run. And inevitably, this happens at some point during my long run, where I'm kind of laboring through some of these middle miles, and, and somebody just goes cruising right by me. And when that happens, there's really one of two things that, that, that can happen as a response to, to what happens right there. 
The first, which is probably the better of the two responses, if I'm to be totally honest, is that I begin making all sorts of, of judgments, if not excuses, in saying, oh yeah, well right now, they might have gone by me, but they're not on mile 15, they're probably on mile 1. I bet you they're not going to be able to run that pace when they're at mile 15. Booyah, come on. Okay, there's, there's no way that they can keep that pace up that they're running. I know they can't. Okay, that's probably the better of the two responses because the other response is that they will go by me and I will interpret that as, oh, 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 you want to race. <laughs> and and it's, it's game on. That I'll kind of wait for a little while even though I'm trying, to, I'm trying to kind of pick up the pace a little bit. And what I'll typically do is try and wait for the next incline assuming that they might suffer a little bit, and then I'm going to go get them. Well, what ends up happening in this, especially if it's true that they are on mile two and I'm on mile 18, is that I end up being the one that suffers, and by the time I get to the top of that hill, I'm cramping up and feel like I'm about ready to puke. I'd like to believe that I've passed enough people and probably have made others puke, but that's really not, not, not the point. As much as it is this... Do not let the way that other people are running the race, the way that other people look, the way that other people are living life and living their faith enslave you. Do not run the race that others are running. Do not buy in to to necessarily running their race if it's not the race that has been given to you. What are the races that you're running? Are you running the race that God has sent for you? Is the major that you're pursuing one that you're pursuing because you want to do that? Because you love it? Or are you doing it because because you you come from a family of five generations of lawyers and you need to be pursuing a program that's going to set you up to be a lawyer? You're majoring in astronomy because your grandpa and your dad were astronomers. Are you being enslaved because of something because of what others have decided is right for you? That's what Paul is getting at. When somebody cuts in and keeps me from running my race that has been set out for me, I try to be something that I not, I'm not. I try to run a pace that I can't run. I try to look stronger than I really am. And I become a slave to that other person and the pace that they are running. When that happens, I become consumed with my own suffering. I can't avoid the fact that I am cramped up and I feel like I am going to puke. Saturday mornings on a long run are supposed to be an enjoyable experience and I allow others and their behavior to rob me of the joy and freedom that God, is, I think, wants to give me on that Saturday morning. So in this text, Paul is upset because the last time he checked, the Galatians were running their race. They were running the race that God had set out for them. They were living into who They were and who they knew themselves to be. But then some folks came in 
and were running a different pace and cut in on them. And they decided that that was the pace that we should run. Now, if you think I'm getting fired up here, Paul is more passionate about what's happening here than I am. He's telling these guys that, that are, are saying, look how cool I am, and talking about circumcision, and, and saying, you know what, for what they've done, I wish that they would go beyond just that, and I wish that they would flat just cut their balls off. No, go ahead and laugh, but that's exactly what he's saying to do. I wish that they would just, that they would just finish the job here. Paul is, t- is sick and tired of the fact that there are these people that saying, you have to look like me. And in order to be truly spiritual, you have to do it exactly like I do. There's probably something embedded in the passion that Paul is saying here of, if they went and finished the job, I bet nobody would want to look like him. And he's probably right. The moral of the story, don't mess with the Apostle Paul, man. (laughs) Or he'll mess with you. Now, I get this. That there are these folks that, that have been living this life for so long, as we've, we've talked about throughout this, this quarter, that what Paul is getting at, remember, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And what has happened is that there's been all this freedom, and in the same way that we might be sitting here going, okay, I get that I've been set free, now what? This is harder than we think it is, right? In our in-speaking team, we were talking about how... how uh, there's there's these studies where they'll take children on a playground, and if you you drop this this group of children uh, that the you know would obviously be enthusiastic about a playground, and you just drop them in there, and there's and there's no fence, that they will kind of cluster together, and their playtime will be will be somewhat hesitant, but you take those same kids on that same playground, and you put a fence around it, and these little kids will go absolutely nuts. They will run amok and just enjoy every square inch of that playground. That there is something within these this fence that allows these kids to experience this type of freedom that they know I'm safe. They know that, that what's happened here is that I've been set free. If we're to use that same image, what has happened is that these, folks, these folks that, that Paul is saying that he would just wish would finish the job is that they are, they are so focused on the fence. They have made the, this, this freedom all about looking at the fence and hanging out around the boundary. Where what Paul is moving us towards is saying, hey, don't worry about the fence. Go nuts within that. Friends, the law is not bad. We don't want to demonize the law. The law is there that we might, we might live within the freedom that we've been given in relationship with Christ. And it's there to help us know, know that. But the law is not there to be focused on. It's there to guide us, not to be focused on. So that's what we have going on here. Friends, the invitation of this is to not be enslaved by focusing on the boundary. To not be enslaved by the acts of others and those people that cut in on us in the middle of the long run. To not be enslaved by, by the boundary or the acts of others, but to find liberation in Jesus Christ within those parameters. We have been set free to go nuts in the playground. 
And Paul says, do it and enjoy it. And don't let anyone stop you from doing it. Friends, this is the gospel. This is really, really good news. Let's continue with this in, in, uh, in verse 16. And the same rules apply if it's in yellow. I'd like you to read it with me. Verse 16 begins this way. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and just for good measure, Paul says, and anything like it, and the like. Where was I? Oh, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty stern warning there. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he gives us this. Read it with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us not keep, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. I want to take these two lists and make contrasting images following the Apostle Paul's lead. As a student here at the University of Washington uh, in 1994, that was my first year here, it didn't take me very long to notice something that I found very peculiar, peculiar that's just three blocks from here. Outside of a fraternity on 47th and 19th, there is a tree that is dripping with shoes as if they were some sort of crazy fruit. When you examine this tree, you begin to notice some shoes that obviously look like they've been up there a while. They have moss on them or something like that. And other shoes that maybe you're thinking, hey, you know, I I could actually use a new pair of shoes. In fact, today as we were walking by this, I was walking by with Mike McAvoy and he was like, huh, there's some pretty sweet Barclays up there. (laughs) So, you know, maybe you do want to climb up and grab yourselves a pair of shoes. What we look at with this, with this tree and what we notice is, is I have reflected on this passage is that I feel like Paul's first list is, is this tree that is dripping with these old shoes. What do sex, debauchery, sex, debauchery, idolatry, jealousy, rage, selfishness, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like have in common with a shoe tree? Well, for one, I'm told that those shoes end up there for reasons uh, such as this, this list that Paul has, has given us there. And, and if I'm to be totally honest, I just learned that today. 
When I see this shoe tree, I see a tree which, which has this fruit that is not real. But let's think about this for a second. These, these shoes that are dripping from this tree at one point were probably pretty cool. They probably served a purpose. They were useful, but instead they've been thrown up there and, and now they're rotting. They're wasting away. And no doubt you find yourself going, that is not anything that I want in my backyard. A shoe tree is, is, is the, the image of that which maybe once worked and was cool, but also shows us how it fades away and rots. What happens when the fruit is in fact not fruit at all? It's artificial. Friends, those shoes do not belong on a tree. And in the same way, I feel like Paul's, Paul's list here of, of, of acts of the sinful nature Show us that, hey, while these things might be cool in a moment, while they might serve this purpose of, of, of emboldening us or making us feel powerful or strong or loved in a moment, it does not last. It's interesting that Paul uses the word that, uh, Janie pointed this out to me, the, the word that is translated the plural verb are there for this list describing the sinful, sinful nature. The, sin, the acts of sinful nature are obvious. But then as he transitions, he says, he uses the singular verb is for his image of this fruit of the Spirit. He invites us to consider these nine different fruits. Wouldn't it make sense for him to say the fruits of the Spirit are? But instead he gives us a singular. Why? Perhaps because they're rooted in one thing. Paul is trying to get us concerned primarily with the one who sets us free. Where we don't even have to be concerned about the law. Because the law isn't necessary. In this fruit that grows out of a tree that is planted in the one, there is no law. Paul tells us that we are, that we are living in a place where we don't even need to be concerned about this. Have you thought about this? That there is no... There's no laws telling you how much joy you can have. How much, how much you can love another person. How much kindness you, you can extend. How much goodness you can demonstrate. There's no law for those things. We don't even need to worry about if, if we're crossing some sort of line when what is flowing out is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Isn't it interesting that on the other side, there are so many laws, even in our culture, around sex and drinking and greed and lying. Just open any newspaper. But when it comes to these nine marks of character that are the fruit of the Spirit, these things that, that, that grow up and bud and blossom and ripen, there is no law that contains them that can contain them. They are not bound by laws. So what? 
So what do these, these contrasting images and the, these words from Paul that we have been set free, what does this mean? What, what do we do with this? Thomas Merton, a Christian mystic that I admire, once wrote, A tree gives glory to God simply by being a tree. A tree gives glory to God simply by being a tree. Friend, you're a tree. What is it that you're rooted in? What is the soil like that your roots go deep into? In a series where we are emphasizing that it is just Jesus and that there is nothing else There's nothing that we can do to earn God's love or our own salvation anymore. It's appropriate for us to look at this beloved verse, this fruit of the Spirit, and remember that we are not being called to bust our tails in these things in order that we might take Jesus' warning very seriously that a tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. There's a temptation to think that that if we consider ourselves a tree, that we better work as hard as we possibly can on being a good tree that bears good fruit so that we won't be cut down and thrown into the fire. But friends, the good news of this is that there is nothing that we can really do to bust our tails in, in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control anymore. As much as the good news is to say, you can't do it on your own, so just put down your roots in the one who can. There are nine marks of character that flow out of being rooted in Jesus. Not things that we have to do before we can put our roots down in Jesus. Put our roots down in the one that is living water. And allow just being a tree. Just giving glory to God by being a tree rooted in the God that is revealed in Scripture. And in Jesus Christ that we know by the work of the Spirit. Allow that to be what cultivates this fruit of our lives. Instead of working harder to maybe look like we love. Or look like we have joy. Let's root ourselves in something that brings about it organically and genuinely. To the degree that you find yourself striving to to somehow love more and then I'll become a Christian. Maybe to extend more goodness and then I'll go on a mission trip. To be more self-disciplined and then I'll join a small group. No, 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 no. Do all those things and allow your roots to be caught, to be, to go down deep in the soil of Jesus Christ. Friends, the encouragement of this text and in Paul's passion is for us to grow up and put our roots down. As you grow up and put these roots down, put those roots down in streams of living water and allow the fruit of the one 
who is all these things, to ripen us over and over again for this fruit to come season after season, year after year. To put down our roots in Jesus and grow up and allow our faith to express itself in love. That's what this passage is calling us to. The good news of Jesus Christ is that we have been set free by the love of God that has been sealed in the life, death, and resurrection of God's one and only Son. His invitation is to not be enslaved by anything or anyone and to pursue righteousness not on our own effort, but by simply being rooted and abiding in relationship with Jesus. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And it is that freedom, that life, that this table reminds us of. That Jesus, having dinner with a group of his his friends, on the night before he was betrayed, broke bread, and he gave it for all to eat. And he said, take and eat, this is my body. Do this to remember that I've set you free. And then again, in in the same way, after supper, he took the club and he blessed it. He said, this blood is the new covenant in my blood. My life poured out for you. Do this to remember that you can put your roots down in me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. The Apostle Paul also invites us to consider whenever we come to this table, that love, and and to examine ourselves. Friends, I want us to examine what is it that we are putting our roots, our faith, our life, our time, our energy into. And to, to the degree that we need help, let's confess that to God and Sometimes when, when we do this, we don't, know, we don't know what to do. We don't even know how to pray for ourselves. And there's a group of people that would love to pray with you in the back. But examine yourself and then come and taste that the Lord is good. That you have been forgiven. And in that forgiveness, set free. This table is set for all who put their faith in Jesus Christ, who affirm him as the Lord of their life, their Savior. Friends, the truth is that he's died for all of us. It's open for anyone, regardless if you made that commitment a second ago, you made that that discovery a year ago, or if you've grown up in that. Friends, doubt does not exempt you from being here but simply faith to know that God has invited you to put your roots and your life in him. So come tonight and taste that he is good. The way we do this is by intinction, which means you break off a piece of bread and you dip it in the cup and you'll, you'll be blessed. We'll have stations around the room and again, people that would love to pray with you about whatever is on your heart and your mind and back. Let me pray for us as we come to this table. Gracious God, you, uh, you have set us free. And by uh, your blood, we know that we are forgiven. And so, Lord, as we come to this, we join with those that have gone before and even those that will come 
after us in knowing that your invitation to us is to freedom. Lord, help us identify the ways that we enslave ourselves. And Lord, by your Spirit, guide us in being set free from them. So, Lord, thank you for this table, for the gift that you have given us in your body and your blood. May we be attentive to your Spirit in this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The gifts of God for the people of God. Come and eat.